0: It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hey everybody, it's Srini. This is the Unmistakable Creativity Hour. It's a new solo segment of the show where I'll be talking about the things that I've learned from the people that I've interviewed, some of the books that I've read, projects that we're working on. And each week we will do a deep dive into one specific topic around the creative process, uh, which usually basically is the process of living in my opinion, because almost everything that you apply in the creative process actually is relevant to life as a whole. I'd also like to learn about what you're working on, what challenges you're wrestling with, what obstacles you're facing, what you're coming up against. And also if you're up for it i would love for you to send me a voice message or write in and tell me your story or if you really want to have some fun come and join me for a live call-in session which apparently we can do with the tool that we use riverside fm which some of you might be familiar with and if you want to leave a voice message and uh, want me to play your message on air just go to podcast.unmistakablecreative.com you'll see a tab on the right hand side of the page where you can click a button and send us a voice message So in this first episode, we're going to talk about creative confidence, why it's important, how we lose it, and more importantly, what we can do to get it back. So why is creative confidence so important? Well, I don't really think there's much of a distinction between confidence and creative confidence. You're just expressing that confidence in some sort of creative act. And the other thing is there are a lot of people who say things like, oh, I've never done anything creative in my life. So that's why I don't know what to do. But the truth is that you've done plenty of creative things in your life. If you've ever drawn a picture, cooked a meal for your family, or taught your kid how to tie his shoes, which by the way, if you don't know, I actually don't know how to tie mine to this day, which is why I use shoes that look like they have laces but don't because I never learned how to tie my shoes. And every time I have shoes with laces, the laces come off. Random fun fact. The authors of the book Creative Confidence say that everything in modern society is the result of a collection of decisions made by someone. Why shouldn't that someone be you? So your ability to pretty much do anything requires creative confidence. Now, there's this fine line between confidence and hubris, in my opinion. Confidence is having the courage to try something, but also knowing that you'll be fine if it doesn't work out. And a lot of times when you do creative work, things flop, things fail. People write books that suck. People uh, plan events that nobody attends. People write blog posts that nobody reads. I have had all of these things happen to me. And I can tell you that I'm still alive and I'm still fine. None of them led to jail, bankruptcy, or death, but we have a tendency when something doesn't work or doesn't go the way we think it's going to, or even just because we think it's going to turn out the way it does, we don't bother. So we tend to blow our fears out of proportion, and as a result, we end up not doing anything. You have to realize that any creative thing you do, pretty much anything in life that you do is a bet on an outcome that is an unknown. There's nothing in life that is 100 percent certain or guaranteed to work. That's true for relationships, it's true for careers, it's true for jobs, and it's especially true for creative work where you're putting this thing out into the world and you have no idea how people will react to it. So how in the world do we lose creative confidence? You might have had an experience where when you were a kid, you did something creative, draw something or paint something. And a parent or a teacher or a friend basically told you that the drawing sucks or you draw a horse. It looks nothing like a horse. So yeah, for those of you who want to subject yourself to some really bad art about five years ago, I did this 30 day drawing project on Instagram, which I have probably referenced on the show before where I decided to teach myself how to draw. And I started by drawing an apple And on the 30th day, coincidentally, I finished the project with a picture of Steve Jobs. And my dad looked at the picture and said, this looks nothing like Steve Jobs. And he was right. It didn't really look like Steve Jobs. The problem is that when we have those kinds of experiences in our lives, what we end up doing is we turn what my mentor, Greg uh, Hartle would say, is a temporary circumstance into a permanent identity. So one piece of feedback becomes the story you tell yourself, even though that piece of feedback was true in that moment, maybe. But the truth is that you were bad at drawing something then. There's nothing to say that you couldn't get better at drawing if you actually practiced. And drawing is just one example of this. And And the truth is that drawing is just one form of creativity. The definition of what it means to be creative is so expansive in the world that we live in today. And so that's one thing that I think is really important is that you expand this definition that you have of creativity. So when you have some form of feedback or external criticism that's harsh and you turn that into the story that you tell yourself, that's ultimately what leads to fear of creative judgment. And one of the things that I have seen a lot with a lot of people is that they're afraid how their work will be judged. Maybe people will hate it. Maybe people will love it. Here's what I can tell you after 10 years of doing this. I I guarantee you somebody will hate something that you create and somebody will love it. And the funny thing is the more people that you reach with your work, the more likely you are to reach somebody who hates your work. If you go and look at Amazon reviews of some of the most popular books ever written throughout history – At the top of the list, you'll see the five-star reviews, and then you'll see some pretty hilarious one-star reviews. I think that somebody said of The Catcher in the Rye, I wish I had missed my adolescence because of this book. And somebody said about one of Ernest Hemingway's books that he must have paid the publisher to get this book to print. And so often we discount ideas out of our fear of judgment, then we don't do anything. And you have to come to terms with the fact that your work is going to be judged no matter what. And somebody will hate it. Somebody will love it. In fact, the best work actually should divide and polarize people. Now, I don't mean divide and polarize in a sort of violent pit people against each other type of way. But the reality is good art has people who hate it and people who love it, which you might remember. For those of you who grew up in the 80s and 90s, there's this absolute piece of shit of a movie. And for those of you who think this is a great movie, we'll have to have a, a conversation about your taste in movies. But you might remember Waterworld to this day, for some reason. I can't think of a movie that I've seen that I've hated as much as Waterworld. And I remember it was this $100 million flop. And to this day, I remember feeling like I just wasted two hours of my life in a movie theater. But that didn't prevent Kevin Costner from continuing to act. Kevin Costner probably doesn't give a damn that I hated Waterworld because I'm one person. And the problem is that when you let fear of creative judgment determine what you do with your work, then people who are not going to live with the consequences of your choices are actually dictating those choices. And that limits what's possible for you. What you end up doing is you hand over control of your life to somebody whose opinion doesn't matter one bit. So that's the thing that you really have to come to terms with is the fact that no matter how good or bad your work is, somebody will judge it. Somebody will hate it. Somebody will love it. And that's okay. You have to come to terms with that. Now, One other thing that I frequently hear from people is that they think that what they're doing is really strange or weird and that there's no audience for this thing that is strange. And I think that is really misguided because there's so many creative projects in the world that start on very bizarre impulses that don't seem to have any end in mind or don't seem like they're going anywhere. So you might remember we had uh, Frank Warren from Post Secret here on the show. And Frank's project was the strangest thing ever he handed out 3000 self-addressed stamped postcards to strangers on the streets of Washington DC and he asked them to share an anonymous secret nothing about that impulse seems like it's the foundation for an amazing creative career or amazing body of work and today millions of people around the world follow the post secret instagram account frank's given a ted talk you definitely check all that stuff out i'll be sure to include links in the description but that's the thing The most strange ideas that you have can often lead to unexpected places. And the thing that happens when we deny these impulses, it's a combination of everything that we've been talking about so far. First is is the fear uh, of judgment. Then you have the attachment to an outcome. And an outcome is something that you have absolutely no control over. You might remember when Ryan Holiday said this about outcomes.
1: One of the hardest things to do is to separate your work from and what your effort that you put in from the results that might come out of it. An actor doesn't control the movie around them, they don't control what the other actors do, they don't control the marketing budget, they don't control the distribution. So they could do the role of a lifetime, but then the director could or the editor could mess it up in, in pr- post-production, right? If your, If your happiness with your job and your career is dependent on how the movie does at the box office, or how the critics respond to your role, you have now placed your happiness with your own life in the hands of other people. And that's a recipe for profound disappointment.
0: So, What can we do to get back our creative confidence? It all really starts with focusing on what you can control. And there's so many benefits to focusing on the things that you control. The first thing that happens is you build momentum because of the fact that you are actually doing this thing every single day. Nobody has to tell you to do it. You actually get to hold yourself accountable. And as you hold yourself accountable and you keep showing up, you actually start to build your creative confidence up because you're honoring the commitment that you've made to yourself. And so suddenly your words start to take on a lot more power. The other thing that's really powerful about focusing on what you can control is something called the progress principle. So there's a book by a Harvard professor named Teresa Mabilli that happens to be also called the progress principle. And the key idea in that book is that visible progress is one of our biggest sources of motivation. The problem is that People often measure their progress against outcomes that they can't control. So if you're somebody who has never written a book in your life, you've never attempted to start a blog, don't have an audience, and you decide that you have this goal to sell a million copies of a book, you're setting yourself up for failure and a lack of confidence right from the start because until you reach that goal, you're going to feel like a failure the entire time. You're going to feel like you're going nowhere. The distance is so far from having no audience to selling a million books, that it pretty much is an excuse to not even try. And that's why it's really important to break things down into smaller sub goals or what Stephen Kotler calls clear goals. In one of his books, Sean Acor, the author of The Happiness Advantage, talks about this concept called success accelerants. And the idea is basically this, that your brain makes progress towards a goal based on the perceived distance to that goal. So we're talking about a million books just a second ago. If you have zero book sales, a million books is a long way off, so it becomes very easy to move slowly. But let's say that you decide that you want to write for 30 days in a row and you get to day 15. Now, if you combine the progress principle, which we just talked about, with this concept of success accelerance, then what you're going to start to find is that you start to build momentum and you end up in this virtuous cycle of momentum, progress, flow, and eventually escape velocity. So it really is about consistency. Consistency does wonders for your creative confidence. It really helps you feel like you're in control of your life. When you show up consistently, you honor commitments to yourself You build momentum, progress, and then you start to accelerate towards the goal. So, one of the other things that I've been thinking about is the future of media and content creation. What is it going to look like? Because we have more tools and resources and distribution channels than ever before. And technology just keeps getting better. It's so much easier to do things now than it was 10 or 15 years ago, but it's also harder to stand out in a sea of noise because everybody can do this. And one of the things I got my hands on recently was an Oculus. And I am really actually having a lot of fun with it. But problem is that I haven't been able to interact with anybody that I actually know inside of it. So talking to strangers inside of the Oculus isn't particularly fun. So if you're listening to this and you happen to have an Oculus, I would really love to host a unmistakable virtual reality happy hour to connect with some of you and meet some of you. Shoot me a message. The other thing that I want to do at some point this year is I want to actually do a interview in virtual reality with one of my podcast guests. And the cool thing with the Oculus is unlike seeing people from behind a screen, you actually feel as if you're there with them in person because you can see gestures, you hear their voice in a different way. It's a a three-dimensional experience as opposed to a two-dimensional experience. I want to finish this episode by talking about the future of online learning and the future of education in general. One thing that I noticed when I've talked to people and I've, I've noticed this in myself is that often people will start things, but not finish them. Maybe that's you. They'll buy a course for $1,000, a couple hundred dollars. They're excited for a week or two and they participate and they come out of the gate really strong. And then by week three, they don't even remember their password or remember that they bought the course. And I wanted to understand why that was happening because that doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do us any good if we sell you a course and you don't finish it. And what I realized is that, the biggest problem with that approach to online courses, where you're left to fend for yourself and watch a bunch of videos, is that they often take too long. And you might have remember when we had Wes Cow in the show here recently, and she said this about cohort-based courses.
3: If you look at evergreen self-based courses, on-demand courses, they're basically a series of videos. And that is a passive content consumption activity. Whereas if you look at a cohort-based course or anything with a live component, it's much more Interactive. That's why your students are picking a core based experience over a static async experience is because they want that community. They want that interaction. They want to talk about ideas and have other real humans listening and, and reflecting back. And they want to hear other real humans ideas on this topic. I think that the passive versus active piece is a key difference between MOOCs versus core based courses and it's one of the main reasons why corporate courses are growing in popularity because moocs it's you know people tried it and the completion rates are super low uh-huh. anywhere between 7 to 10% and a recent mit study said even lower 3 to 6% so i think a lot of us have had that experience where we tried doing something on our own like it's i mean if it if it could work it would be pretty great if i could get myself to watch a bunch of these videos to learn a thing and motivate myself and keep myself accountable i totally would that's hard and i can't do that i've attempted it and i couldn't and instead committing to a course where there is a start and end date like that that immediately creates a sense of urgency
0: and focus that's why we decided to take a different approach to how we teach courses online and launch something new called unmistakable sprints instead of doing these long 12 week classes to learn some skill We're going to teach you those skills in three days in three one-hour sessions where you'll get exercises, worksheet, and feedback. You'll have built-in accountability from other people in the community. And the cool thing is once you're done with a sprint, you're done with the course. So you set aside this specific amount of time for it, you commit to it, and that's it. You are no longer wondering about when you're going to finish this thing or when you're going to find the time to do this thing. It's basically one hour for three days. And the first one is coming up this weekend. It's on creative confidence, which is why we're talking about creative confidence today. And you can actually learn more about this at unmistakablecreative.com sprints. And I'd love for you to join us. I'd love to meet some of you who I've never gotten to meet before and connect with you. And I'd love for you to meet each other because I think that's what this is all about. So much more happens together when we work as a community. You know, it's a chance to interact. It's a chance to go deeper with material. And I think you just get so much more out of the things that you learn when you talk to other people about them, when you have a chance to engage with the material in a live setting. You might remember years ago, we had a graffiti artist named Eric Wall, where he said that live music has engaged participants. Keynote speaking has passive consumers and a passive consumption experience is fine the problem is that you're just taking in information, but when you actively engage with that information, you connect with other people, you talk to other people, that information suddenly starts to transform into wisdom and knowledge and becomes a lot more valuable than if you were just sitting there consuming it by yourself. So with that in mind, I hope to see you at our first Unmistakable Sprint. Again, you can learn more at unmistakablecreative.com sprints. And as always, we will wrap the show with that.